I think I'm always going to remember one of the most depressing conversations I've ever had with a group of people. It was a group of software engineers who worked on special effects for Hollywood movies. They did the really high-end work. Um, they did work for movies like Harry Potter and the Wolverine series. They were very good at what they did. But they were really frustrated because what would happen is they would work shocking hours, especially as the deadline of the movie approached, and yet the software that they used would change all the time. And they would go home really, really late at night from work and have to update their knowledge of the software in their own time because their workplace didn't give them any time off. And then to make it even worse, what they would find is as they got older and more expensive, they were very easily replaced by young people coming out of uni who were just as skilled in the new software and who also then were much cheaper. That's what I call career pressure. I actually don't know how they even slept at night. Welcome to Career Chinwags for the 21st Century. This is season one where we're looking at how to survive and even thrive in your career during the coronavirus pandemic. In today's episode, which is number six in our coronavirus series, we'll look at five tips to help you de-risk your career in these terrible times. This year's cataclysmic disruption to our careers and lives means that lots of us are facing severe pressure. If this describes your life, then you're not alone. I read a report just released by ING Bank, which said that more than 3 million Australians are thinking about changing careers once the coronavirus subsides, and nearly 30% have considered learning new skills to insulate themselves from future economic upheaval, including those who've already got jobs. Let's say you're one of those people who's thinking about change or who's worried about your ongoing job security. There's three questions I want to look at today. Firstly, how can you decide which career or which sector to move into? Second, how can you do it as painlessly as possible? And third, when do you know whether you can just relax and just keep on keeping on in your job exactly as it is? And I've got three tips. So let's start with tip one. Tip one, look before you leap. Ask yourself, do I really want to do that all day? I'm not a futurist, but I think Blind Freddy could see that workers in the essential services have been pretty well immune from job losses during the pandemic. If you think of doctors, nurses, paramedics, the thinking is that those roles are going to be around for a long time. Now, obviously, I'm not the only one who thinks that. According to that ING Bank report, 12% of Australians are considering jobs in the essential services because they want to make sure their jobs remain relevant. There's a big but, though. Before you enrol in any training, I think you should assess the type of work you'd be doing every day and check that you'd be good at it and that you'd enjoy it. There's no point chucking on the overalls to become an ambulance officer, for example, if you prefer to work on creative projects, or perhaps if you prefer just sitting in an office crunching numbers all day. My plan when I left teaching all those years ago was to work in hotel management. I didn't want to go back to uni, and I thought my skills were transferable. Now, I did learn Japanese because I thought that would make it easier for me to pick up a job. And I actually moved a thousand kilometres away to the Gold Coast in Queensland to get work in hospitality. But after a couple of months there, I realised that it just wasn't for me and I preferred being on the other side of the counter. So back I came with my towel between my legs to start on yet another career. You really don't want to make the same mistake, believe me. Finding out the daily reality of the work that you're investigating is actually very easy. But I think it's a good idea to leave Google alone and actually talk to a real person or real people. 
I suggest you find 10 people who work in that area and set up a meeting with them. When you meet, start by asking them three things they like about their job. Most of us don't want to admit to somebody else, especially a stranger, that we've made a bad career choice. So I think it's important that you start with the positive. They're more likely to want to say positive things about the work that they do. So they'll talk about what they like. And then after they've mentioned a few things, slip in. Okay, can you please tell me now three things you don't like about the work you do? They're more likely to tell you the truth. They're on a roll. They've talked about their work and you're more likely to find out the reality of of what they think about it. By the time you've listened to 10 people, you can assess whether the things that they like and the things that they don't like actually matter to you. And I think you'll then be able to know whether the job's for you or not. Okay, so let's say you decide that you don't want to move into the essential services because the type of work there doesn't appeal to you. Tip number two is to investigate which sectors may appear to be safer than the others. Another way of improving your job security is to check those sectors out. In Australia, at least, there have been no or very few job losses across any of the three streams of government, Commonwealth government, state government and local government. So what you might want to consider is doing the same sort of work that you currently do, but moving across into one of those sectors. Once again, you have to be careful. Check whether the reality of the public sector is a good fit for you. Some private sector people move across pretty easily and and they actually love the idea of being able to work on big, meaty projects in government. And really in government, you are often able to effect change on a massive scale and they really like that. But others can't stand operating within a large, slow-moving bureaucracy. I can think of one of my clients in the global financial crisis. He called himself a cowboy and he came from a cowboy company. So you can imagine how cowboy he actually was. He was a logistics person, and they often are very fast-paced, take-no-prisoner type people. During the global financial crisis, he found that job after job was just getting pulled right at the time when they were about to make him a job offer. And so a job came up in local government, and I can always remember where we were or where I was when I had the conversation with him about whether it was such a good idea or not. Now, he took the job, but sure enough, five months later, he was gone back into the private sector where he really belonged. He was the sort of person, his name was Tim, Tim was the sort of person who would never stay in a job where he wasn't happy and that's why he quickly got out. I meet quite a few people who hate their jobs but they just struggle to leave for all sorts of reasons. So if you're that sort of a person, you need to be even more careful than most that you think things through. Tip number three It's worth investigating right brain jobs. So if I come back to that ING report, roughly 20% of Australians are apparently not sure whether they have the right skills for the future after COVID-19. And interestingly, younger workers were more likely to feel that way than any other group. Now, there's lots of reports out there that list emerging or in-demand jobs. So that's a good starting point for you to check. But what I thought was quite interesting about the Ing report is that they threw a little bit of scorn on the so-called safety of STEM. Now, STEM is science, technology, engineering and maths. And that's what we're all supposed to be studying at the moment at school or uni or TAFE. But even here, there's a bit of doubt as to whether this STEM-based education or coding are really going to be the skills of the future. And according to the ING Bank report, 
we need to be thinking about right brain activities because the machines can't do right brain activities as well as we can. And so it's harder for them to replace us if you're doing that sort of work. And so they're talking about a new word, yet another new word. They're merging the word STEM with pathy and talking about STEMpathy type roles. And they're roles where we would use our creativity, perhaps our entrepreneurship, innovation, emotional intelligence, and empathy. I think that's where the pathy comes from. And we would then decide what to do with the information that the machines produce for us. Now, how can you develop these right brain skills? When I was a French teacher, so many parents and even some of my friends used to question, well, why do you bother learning French? What's the point of learning French? They'd talk about that everybody in the world spoke English and then they'd say, well, and if you're going to learn a language, why don't you do one of the useful ones? In my time, the useful ones started with Japanese, Indonesian, then it went to Spanish and of course now it's Chinese. The only slightly defensive point I'm trying to make here is that any language learning is wonderful for right brain development. And I think it's actually especially useful for people who are very left brain dominant. So coming back to you, hopefully it's not too late for you to start to develop these skills. And if you have children, start as soon as you can to encourage this right brain activity so that they at least will be well prepared to take on the machines. Tip number four, if you're going to move, minimise the pain of moving. There's a neat analysis of key drivers when it comes to career satisfaction that parks us into one of four segments. I'll put a link to the full details in the show notes on the website, but just quickly, the first three are linear. People who have a linear career concept get their career satisfaction by moving up the ladder, up the corporate ladder. This is one of the most traditional drivers. A second group are experts. Success to a person who's motivated by the expert career concept is when they're acknowledged as an expert by their peers. The next two career concepts, I think, are the ones where it's easier for people to make a move to a new industry. And the third one of the four is if you are a Roma. Now, success to a Roma is being able to change jobs perhaps every two or three years. And the succeeding job often has no relationship to the job that they've just left. And I feel really sorry for Romas. It's very hard then not to have to start at the bottom in each new job that you do. Not that they seem to mind. And I'm the fourth kind. I'm what's called a spiral or or spiralist. It's somebody who prefers to make a major move across different occupational areas about every seven or so years. And the difference between myself and a Roma is the length of time that we stay in each field means that we have enough time to become really competent at what we do. And the second change or the second difference is the next job is usually related somewhat to the job that we previously did. So my first job as a teacher, you could argue really that a lot of the work I do now is actually very similar to what I did as a teacher. So even if it's not your preferred career motivator, it's worth behaving like either a Roma or a spiralist because it's easier. You, If you're a spiralist, you make your move to an area that's linked to your current job. For example, one of the top 20 jobs of the future mentioned in that ING report was what they called a digital literacy coach. In theory, as people are forced to migrate online and digitize all their communications, they'll need help with how to do that. If I had to or wanted to leave my current job, I'd investigate that sort of work because it would build on my skills in and love of training and also my love of helping people in a very practical way. 
and it would minimise the amount of reskilling that I would need to do. That's what spiralists do. So if you are determined to leave your current type of work with the least amount of effort, this is an approach that's worth you investigating. Tip number five, assess whether you can relax or not. So let's say you're not one of those people who's thinking about a career change. You just want to keep on keeping on and you don't want to worry about job security. The critical question here is, how can you tell whether you should be thinking about future-proofing yourself even if you don't really want to? Most experts think that jobs, the way you think at work, and the skills that will be most valuable have already changed and that they're just going to keep on changing. Starting from right now, how do you know how long you've got? And in my humble opinion, five years is all you've got. So with my clients, I never ask them how old they are. I ask them, how many more years do you want to work? And at what level of seniority or intensity? So unless you face the extraordinary situation we're currently experiencing, or unless you face a sudden recession, if you plan to work for less than five years, I think you're probably safe. You're not likely to be replaced by technology or a new machine. And it's also not that likely that workplace norms will change. But having a same, same attitude to work is dangerous if you face more than five years of work before you retire. You risk being made redundant and then finding it much harder to get work. There are two specific areas to look at, and the first one is the easiest, and that is making sure that you have technical skills that are up to date. I talked about some solutions in my podcast about grads finding their first jobs during and after the coronavirus, and it's also outlined in my blog called Five Strategies to Win a Job in a Global Recession. You'll find both of those on the website, so I won't go into details now. Your second task is to make sure that you keep up with workplace norms. This is often the real reason that people are made redundant or fired. They're so out of step with modern thinking and they don't realise how often they offend or even alienate their workmates. If you do allow this to happen to you, it's also harder for you to find that next job. You probably won't even notice the mistakes you're making and you'll need expert career advice. I can remember working with the director of HR who used the word personnel and he was shocked when I said, look, you really can't use that word. Something like that in an interview, for somebody of that level of seniority and in that technical area where it's all supposed to be people-based, that could be the difference between job and no job. When it comes to your career, it would be ideal if you loved keeping up to date with current trends or latest trends. If not, this is a case where it's, it's just bad luck. If you've got many years of work ahead of you, you need to keep up with where the world is heading as it happens. You need to take charge of your future so that you actually have a future. Even before the pandemic, there was a 2019 survey that showed that 25% of job seekers in the US were worried that their jobs would be automated within five years, and nearly half of young workers thought this. So there's a lot of worry out there at the moment. Modern career advice will tell you to do four things. It'll tell you to stay alert, keep up to date with modern workplace requirements and norms, be self-aware, and be open to opportunities as they come up. There's a time for flexibility and fluidity, but there's also time for forethought. By all means, join the many Australians who plan to learn new skills. Just ensure that your envisaged future is a good fit, that it's well thought out, 
and that you have a concrete plan to actually attain it. Now, I'm still very much in the early days of podcasting and I don't have any reviews anywhere yet and I still don't have many subscribers. If you like what you've heard, I'd love it if you could share this podcast or leave a review. At this stage, I'm doing a regular fortnightly podcast, but next episode, I'm taking a break from my coronavirus series. I'm going to talk about how you can set up your ideal world so that the work you do fits with who you are and what you think is important. Remember, if you want to review what we've talked about, check out the full show notes at careerconsult.com.au. There you'll find a full article on the topic, maybe an infographic, maybe a video, and they will summarise the different elements, and there'll be links to any other tools or resources that I've referred to. And I do a fortnightly mail out of videos, blogs and infographics. If you're interested, you'll find a sign-up form on the website. As always, I'll finish with my hashtag, hashtag... Why not be happy at work?